Good morning, church. Good to be with you all today. And yes, if you would like to join Pastor Rob uh, for the engine room, that prayer meeting, you can go with him now. And uh, yeah, I just want to reiterate, 550 boxes that we're sponsored to send out. And uh, yeah, thank you all for your generous donations for that. Let's come, let's fill them up, and then uh, we'll send them out next week. So we'll see them all filled next Sunday, and then they'll be sent out that following Monday. So fantastic to be with you guys today. I feel very grateful to be able to stand here today as a servant of God in order to declare to you the gospel of God. And what I have right in front of me here is my Bible, and I hope you have your Bible in front of you. Um, be sure to bring your Bible with you as we gather together for church. And if you, if you don't have a Bible to call your own, I would love to give you one as a gift today. Just come see me right after service, and I would love to uh, give one right into your hands that you can take home with you, and you can read, and you can enjoy, and then you can bring it back and forth with you each and every week to church. So uh, this morning, we are continuing in our verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Thessalonians, so you can open there to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And as you're opening your Bible, I also want to ask you to um, pray to the Lord that the Lord would open up your heart to receive something from his word today. And I'm going to do something a little bit different today, and that is uh, instead of starting at verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I'm going to start at a verse in the middle of this chapter, because I believe that by reading this verse in the middle of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, it's going to influence how we will receive the word this morning. So from 1 Thessalonians 2, I want to start in verse 13. And just um, for a moment, guys, could you just bring me down just a notch? That'd be awesome. Appreciate it. Um, Because I feel like I'm holding back, you know, and I don't want to hold back preaching the word of God. So just... (laughs) Bring me down just a tad. That'd be great. All right, so in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, this is what it says. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers So this morning, what I'm so thankful for as we have our Bibles open before us is that these words are God's very living words, that he has breathed them out himself. And the word of God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so today I have both the blessing and the privilege of being able to bring you God's word. I I see it as a great responsibility because as you receive this word today, you are not receiving it merely as Daniel Hendrickson's words, but as it really is the word of God, because I will be teaching you from the Bible, and the Bible is God's living and active word that is at work in you as believers. And so that gives me great confidence today, that gives me great boldness today by the spirit of God to speak to you from the word of God. And so what I want to to declare to you is 
what God wants to speak to his church. I am simply a messenger, a a messenger of another messenger, a conduit for what God wants to speak. And I believe that today God will do that both in and through his word as he reaches into your heart. So we can go back to the start of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And this is what we read from verse 1 where it says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Now Paul, Silas, and Timothy are the ones that are writing this letter to the church that is in Thessalonica. And we spent some time last week going into some of the details of how this church was started. It was started during the second missionary journey uh, as they passed through the region of Macedonia. And the Apostle Paul and his co-laborers in the gospel traveled throughout those parts of Europe preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ from city to city. And when they made their way to the region of Macedonia, to the city of Thessalonica, we see all the good, the bad, and the ugly that happens as they travel. Paul, at this time in writing, was in Corinth, writing the letter back to the church in Thessalonica, and he had a deep concern in his heart. He had a longing to know how the church was doing, this church that Paul planted was, um, was young. It was new. And Paul was only able to spend three weeks with these new believers there in Thessalonica before an angry and jealous mob of Jewish leaders drove those ambassadors of Jesus into the next city, which was the city of Berea, and then they drove them out of that city as well. And so you can imagine that you've got these new believers that are in Thessalonica who truly experienced a transformation in their lives by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. However, upon their reception of the word of God, they also received immediate persecution. We saw last week in chapter 1, verse 6, it says, For you received the word in much affliction, with joy in the Holy Spirit. They had the Holy Spirit. They were so glad to be new believers in Jesus Christ, and yet it was met with much conflict. And part of this persecution is that the Jews were saying that when Paul brought the gospel to the people of Thessalonica, it was in vain. Nothing really happened. That, that actually, if something truly happened, then Paul would have stuck around to see it through. He wouldn't have bailed out on them after three weeks. But Paul here is now going to appeal to the experience that these new believers in Jesus had and how they received the word of God in much affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit and that the labor and the message of these missionaries was not in vain. It was not in vain Because when the word goes out, it does not return void. It was not in vain because lives were transformed by the grace of Jesus in just three short weeks. It was not in vain because these believers, as we saw last week, continued in faith, love, and hope. It was not in vain because God loved and chose and kept these new believers, and it was not in vain even though it was met with much conflict. See, many times we can get discouraged into thinking that our work for the Lord is in vain. 
And sometimes we can get this feeling that our work doesn't really matter, possibly because we're not seeing the fruit of our labors. You know, I take great comfort in learning about men like Jeremiah, who was a prophet in the Old Testament. And he preached to the region of Judah for 40 years and not a single person repented. But was his calling and work in vain? No. I take great comfort in learning about missionaries throughout the history of the church who have left the comforts of their homeland to travel to the far reaches of the earth with the gospel and will labor for 10 to 15 years before they ever see even one person come to faith in Jesus Christ. And if one person comes to faith, it is all worth it. And so what we're going to see today, brothers and sisters, is that we are all ministers. We are all missionaries. And God may have given you a ministry that has a lot of visible fruits. Or maybe he's given you a ministry where you're not seeing much visible activity and it's causing you to ask the question, is it all in vain? Let me tell you this just to encourage your heart and to remind you, believer, that our work for the Lord is never in vain, is that the Lord has called us to faithfulness way before he's ever called us to fruitfulness. You be fruitful to God in the ministry that God has given to you, and let God be the one who will bring about the fruitfulness. That's up to him. God is the one who gives the increase. And Paul, Silas, and Timothy knew that they had been called by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel throughout Macedonia. But if you look at the persecution that these men had to face on their second missionary trip, you wonder if they were actually called, right? Beatings, imprisonments, mobs chasing them around from city to city, persecution and affliction, both from without and from within. Was all of this in vain? No, not even for one second. So we see in verse 2 that Paul says then, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much affliction or conflict. And I'll share again with you the experience that Paul and Silas had when they went to start the church in Philippi. That church was started with a rich lady, a slave girl who was delivered from a demon, and a jail warden. Again, just quite a wonderful church. Love to participate in that Sunday gathering, right? And because the gospel was turning the world upside down, Paul and Silas were beaten and put in prison there in Philippi. They were bound in stocks, which would lock their hands and feet and stretch them out 
And, and in that condition, they were joyfully singing hymns in the night until suddenly an earthquake came and broke the stocks, broke open the, the prison doors, and there the jailer was standing, thinking that everybody had gotten loose. While they were still in the jail cell, they spoke because that jailer was about to commit suicide, but instead he was saved by Jesus Christ. And so many wonderful things happen there in Philippi. So many powerful highlights, but it doesn't take away from the fact that when Paul and Silas came into Thessalonica, they came with limping legs and beaten and bloodied and bruised bodies. They had gone through suffering. They had gone through the shameful treatment at Philippi and the people of Thessalonica, they knew it. They knew it because they were amazed by these guys that they would continue to boldly preach the message that they had just been beaten and arrested for. Like, who does that? There's that one point in the book of Acts where Paul goes into a city and they, they stone him. They throw rocks at him and, and leave him for dead. And, and then he, he leaves the city and guess what? He goes back and he preaches the gospel to that city again. Because there was such a confidence, such a conviction of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel to transform the world. And that is why Paul, Silas, and Timothy were pastors who were bold in their God to declare to all people the gospel of God, even in the midst of much conflict. It's humbling, isn't it? But Paul doesn't say all of this to make people feel bad. To, to give some sort of guilt trip like, oh, well, I'm not doing that. Paul's not saying this to stir up a pity party. He isn't making this appeal because he lacks any sort of confidence in his calling. Paul says these things because there is always a threat to the authority of the message of the gospel. That message is always being threatened and one of the greatest ways that that message gets threatened is when people will seek to discredit the messenger. Many of Paul's letters were written to defend his role in the work of the gospel. He had to often state, these are not my words that I preach to you. These are God's words. I am just a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I am just an ambassador. I am just a messenger of another. I am simply taking what God has declared to me, and I am declaring it to you. For instance, Paul said this to the church that was in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4 through 5, he, he spoke so boldly. He says, I'm acting with great boldness toward you. I have pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, that's Thessalonica, even when we came to Thessalonica, our bodies had no rest. But we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. See, I recognize something this week about the way that the Apostle Paul weathered through conflict. See, he didn't go through conflict with this anxious defense. He went through conflict with a joyful offense. 
was just so joyful for the Lord, so glad in the gospel, even when his body was being beaten, and even when his character was being attacked. He had that kind of boldness and that kind of confidence because he was found in Jesus who suffered the same things. And so from here, Paul is going to give a spirit-led appeal to the church. He's going to speak to the character and the conduct that these church-planting pastors had. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were men of God. And in chapter 1, verse 6, this is what it said. It said, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sakes. And in verses 3 through 6, Paul will lay out the things that they did not do in ministry. And then in verses 7 through 12, Paul will lay out the things that they did do in ministry. And so we're going to look at each one of these verses. And the desire is going to be this, okay? The desire is going to be for each one of us in our own ministries to decide if these are the type of people we want to be in ministry. Because you know you have a ministry, don't you? Look, this, this chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, certainly applies to pastors. It applies to me and to Rob and to Ben Kai and to Ben as pastors of this church. And we wholly desire to be men of such character and conduct as we're going to see in this chapter. But this section applies to you as well. Because whether you recognize it or not, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a ministry a ministry that you will be accountable to God for. I'll be accountable to God for my ministry, and you will be accountable to God for your ministry. And we have the word of God in order to instruct us so that we can stand confidently and boldly before our God and say, or rather he could say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? You guys ready? Let's do it. In verse 3, we see that they did not have wrong motives. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were men who had clear consciences before God in knowing that the ministry that they had done in Thessalonica was for all the right reasons. They wanted to present the truth. They were not looking to spread error. They wanted their motives to be pure as well as their actions. There was no impurity in them when they started the church in Thessalonica by proclaiming the gospel. Nor was there any attempt to deceive. Again, they were faithful to declare Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, and they wouldn't have kept delivering that message with great boldness in much affliction if they knew that they were propelling lies. Like you wouldn't be beaten and go back into the city and say it again if you knew you were telling a lie. Now perhaps some of the Jews were saying the reason that the apostles left so quickly is because they were going around from town to town turning people away from Judaism toward this new way of Jesus, this new and different sect of religion. 
And, and it would say about the new way of Jesus that it was built upon idle tales and fables, and yet the gospel is true, it is pure, and it is revealing, and it is based upon many proofs. And so the motives of these ministers were right before God. And then in verse 4, we see that they were not trying to please people. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Paul, Silas, and Timothy found their approval from God and not from man. A person who has been entrusted with the gospel must understand something. Not everyone is going to like you. In fact, Jesus said, if everyone does like you, then that's a warning that your message must not actually be the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Luke 6, 26, Jesus said this, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did the false prophets. These men were entrusted with the same message that Jesus preached, and he was hated for it, and he was killed for it. These men had been approved because why they had taken up their own cross to follow Jesus. They were following in his steps in preaching the gospel, no matter the cost. They had considered the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. And so they spoke. They spoke boldly in the spirit of God, regardless of the results, right? And, and sometimes when we preach the gospel, we see power, salvation, and blessing. But sometimes in preaching the gospel, you will receive imprisonment, rejection, and cursing. But these men were found faithful as they spoke the good news of Jesus. Paul said this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, that goes right in line with this point. He said, for, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. If you want to be liked by everyone, being a minister of the gospel is the wrong gig. Okay? Are you willing to ask God to test your heart in this? Because I have been asking him to test mine. Guys, I like it when people like me. I, I want you guys to like me. Please like me. <laughs> but I'll tell you this, church. I like God's approval more than I like man's approval. I want you to like me. But there might be times when I'll say something and you're not gonna like me. Part of it is that you just don't like the message. But the message needs to be spoken because the message is where the power is. It's not my words. It's God's words. If I wanted you all to like me, I wouldn't preach the Bible. Okay? So verse 5, we then see that their ministry was never to flatter or to make a buck. 
For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. The gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive. It tells us that we are wretched, poor, pitiable, blind, and naked. And that without the saving love of Jesus, you will receive God's wrath in hell. But God, who is rich in love and mercy, has offered you an escape. Therefore, you cannot earn your way to heaven. You need to humble yourself like a little child who can't do anything for themselves and receive God's gift by faith. There are a lot of messages that flatter. That is not one of them. The gospel does not pamper The gospel does not coddle. It hits you between the eyes and it says, repent. It is the best news ever, isn't it? It is the good news to those who are saved by it, but it ain't flattering and it isn't something to make money off of either. There is a lot of teaching in the New Testament about money because it seems that money has quite a way into our hearts. And there's some teaching in the Bible about how the minister and money relate. We cannot go into all the teaching about this this morning, but here's one thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14, Paul says this. He says, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. He then goes on to say in verse 15, but I have made no use of any of these provisions, nor am I writing these things to secure such provisions, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Now, based off of 1 Corinthians 9, 14, I want to say this. I want to say I am very grateful that I receive a salary for the work that I do here at Calvary Chapel Palace Verdes. But I would be doing this regardless of pay. And three of our pastors have been doing the work of pastoring without pay. And God is our witness, as he was the witness of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, who made tents on the side to pay for their missionary travels. These men were not in the work of preaching the gospel because they were trying to make money. And I'm thankful that this is a church where we don't make a big deal about money. And we have financial transparency. If anyone, in fact, wants to see how the finances of this church are used, you can make an appointment with Janet. I'm sorry, Janet, to put you on on this right here. (laughs) She does our bookkeeping. You can make an appointment, and you can see that we have no pretext for greed. That means that we do not wear a mask to cover up greed. And so continuing on, we see that they also were not looking for any glory. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Um, I remember when I was first ordained as a pastor, there was a seasoned pastor who gave me this charge. He said, Daniel... Keep your hands off the three G's. He said, keep yourself from the gold, the girls, and the glory. 
Because money, women, and pride has been the unfortunate downfall of many ministers. And it ought not to be so. And I continually look to God's word to be soberly warned of such things. So anyone who desires to minister must have the character and the conduct to back it. And so glory is not what we are after, although there is glory to be had in being a servant of Christ. It just isn't meant to come from man. It's meant to come from God. I learned something a while ago um, because as a pastor, you know, somebody who likes to be liked, right? As a pastor, people will compliment you for the work that you do for the Lord. And Corey Ten Boom, who was greatly used by God to save Jewish lives in the Holocaust, said this in an interview about how people would give her compliments when she would go around giving her story and, and speaking to people. How did she handle that kind of attention and not take the glory? So what she would do is she would receive each compliment like a single flower. Someone would come up to her and say, thank you so much for who you are and for what you do. She would take a flower. Someone would come up and say, you are so amazing, and she would take a flower. Someone would come and say, your message was so powerful, and she would take a flower. And then at the end of the night, she would take each flower of praise that she had received, and in her heart and in her mind, she would bundle them all up, and she would say, here, Lord, this bouquet is for you. And for me as a pastor, that is clueing you in to some of the ways that I seek to humble myself before the Lord and know that it is not for any glory of man, but all for the glory of the Lord. So we just looked at the ways that pastors did not minister to the Thessalonians. Now we're going to look at the ways that they did minister. These are the kind of men that they proved to be when they ministered the gospel in Thessalonica. Look at verses 7 through 8. We will see that they were gentle and affectionate like a mother. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. That image might hit close to home for some of you. You know, anyone who has children know what it's like to give gentle and affectionate care to your child. And how you give of your own self to, to raise your children. But no one gets that as much as a nursing mother. There might even be some in the nursing room back there listening to this message right now. A nursing mother literally gives of herself constantly to feed her child with milk from her body to ensure that that child not only survives but thrives. Now... I don't think my wife would appreciate me using her uh, nursing as a sermon illustration, and so I'm just going to skip over that part, and I'm going to say this on behalf of myself and on behalf of my wife, Leah, is that we love you, church. We love you in a way that is similar to how we love our own children. You are dear to us. And we are not only looking to share the gospel but also our own lives. 
We want you to know us, and we want to be known by you. We want to know you. We want to have relationship because that's what makes church a family, and we truly see this church as our spiritual family. So let's go back to verses 9 and 10, and we're going to see that these pastors were also men who were hardworking with worthy conduct. It says this in verse 9, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. While we proclaim to you the gospel of God, you are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Now, this goes back to what was said earlier about Paul, Silas, and Timothy not looking to minister out of selfish ambition or greed. This was demonstrated in how these men worked hard. Night and day they worked, it says. Why? So that they might not be a burden to the church. And so they, they proclaimed the gospel wherever they went, but they also had a tent-making business on the side to provide income for themselves so that wherever they went and preached, they didn't have to ask for anything. Again, this doesn't tell us that a minister should not make a living from the ministry being their full vocation because the Lord commanded that himself. But sometimes for the, sometimes that right, because it's the right to get paid to do ministry, sometimes that right is forfeited for the sake of the gospel and those who are being reached. And that is what the Apostle Paul and his companions chose to do as they went throughout Macedonia. Now, now I probably can guess that, that they won't like the attention, but they can give the, this as flowers to the, to the Lord later, right? But, but Pastor Rob and Pastor Ben Kai are both lawyers, and they work hard. And, and Pastor Ben is a surgeon, in fact, a chief surgeon who oversees many other doctors. And they work tirelessly night and day in their vocations, and they work as pastors in this church proclaiming the gospel to you. And they work, and they work, and they work. These are men who are living out verses 9 and 10. I'm so thankful to co-labor with the pastors that I get to co-labor with. Now, we have one final area where we see what kind of men Paul, Silas, and Timothy proved to be, which shows us who we should all want to be. Again, I, I, this teaching was so much a message that I preached to myself before I preached it to you. But it's being preached to you because every single one of us needs to live out this about how holy and how righteous and how blameless is our conduct toward the believers. In verses 11, 12, we'll see that these men were like strong fathers with their children. Verse 11 through 12, for you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You guys all good? There are times when a servant of God should be like a gentle mother with her children. There are times when a servant of God should be like a strong father with his children. 
And mothers can be both gentle and strong when they should be. And fathers can be both gentle and strong when they should be. But I, when I see Paul writing there, and what I see him getting at is that the father is generally the one who will exhort, encourage, and charge his children. And he will be strong and direct in how he does that. And I've talked about this before, how at different times in my life, I need to be ministered to in different ways. Sometimes I need a mother's gentle care. But other times, I need a father's strong charge, exhortation, encouragement. You know, sometimes I need to be told, as it were, hey, Daniel, sit up to the table. Hey, son, Look me in the eyes when I talk to you. Child, I love that little dada over there. <laughs> Child, don't say you can't do this. You can do it. Right? And it's gentle, but it's direct. And we need spiritual fathers in our lives who will exhort, encourage, and charge us to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls us into his own kingdom and glory. Do you have people in your life who will be frank with you. People who will say what needs to be said. Like stop messing around in that sin and follow God in the way that you have been called. I love having people in my life who can speak to me like a father, especially because for me personally, I lacked that growing up. But when I got saved at 17 years old, the church became to me fathers and mothers who cared for me and encouraged me and charged me to live a life worthy of God. I've learned from faithful men and women what living in the kingdom is all about, and the church is the place to get that, especially if you didn't get that growing up. You need this family. You need this family that will sometimes be gentle with you and sometimes will be strong with you. Now, we already read in verse 13, but let me read it again, and hopefully it's a reminder to you about the one who is really speaking to us all today and, and how I've just been a conduit of the Lord. Verse 13 says, and we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. See, that verse gives me so much confidence and comfort in knowing that his word is at work in your life today. That it is powerful, it is effectual, it is speaking to you, only do not harden your heart to these words because these really are the words of God. Now we're gonna read the final Final verses of this chapter, in verse 14 through 16, it says, For you, brothers, became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things that our own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so always to fill up the measure of their sin, but wrath has come upon them at last. So Paul here, after making an appeal to them to, to you know, prove 
to then the kind of man that he was, he then turns to commend this church about how they had weathered the storms of persecution. He compared the church in Thessalonica to the church in Judea. And as you know, the gospel went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the good news was spreading and it's still spreading today because it all started there in Jerusalem of Judea about 2,000 years ago when a man named Jesus of Nazareth came preaching a message. But he was more than a man, he was God. And he preached a message that was unlike any other message that has ever been shared. He had the words of eternal life. And yet Jesus was persecuted for who he proved to be among us for our sakes. Jesus was shamefully treated having suffered and died on a cross that he did not deserve. And so in the same way, believers who take up their cross and take up his message will be persecuted at times for his sake. Jesus told us that it would be so in John chapter 15, verse 18 through 21. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would also keep yours. But all these things they will do on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. So the Gentile believers in Thessalonica and the Jewish believers in Judea both partook in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And in the same way, both the Gentiles and the Jews partook in the killing of Jesus. And you and I, I pray, would partake in the sufferings of Jesus because you and I also partook in killing Jesus. You know you killed Jesus, right? You killed Jesus. I killed Jesus. We killed Jesus with our sin. But Jesus was killed for our redemption. And anyone can come to him today, whether Jew or Gentile, whether living 2,000 years ago or living right here today, you can come to him today because he died for you. Jesus died for your sin and shame, and that is the message that I preach. And even if it incurs to me being shamefully treated, this is what I preach. This is the message of the gospel. You must turn to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Because if your sins have not been forgiven by Jesus, you are filling up your own measure of sin and God's wrath will come upon you because you are choosing to be judged in your own sin. But you don't have to be judged for your own sin because Jesus suffered and died in your place so that you, who are a sinner, can be made holy, righteous, and blameless by the blood of Jesus. He can justify you today in his blood. Choose to believe in Jesus today. Admit that you are a sinner. Recognize your need for a savior. Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus so that by putting faith in Jesus, you receive his grace, 
you receive the gift of eternal life, his salvation. Amen? I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. As I ask the uh, band to come up here, I'm going to give you an opportunity here in just a moment to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, to ask him to come into your life and to be your Lord, to be your Savior. But I want to read these final verses, verses 17 through 20. For since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavor all the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown or boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. You want to give great glory? You want to give great joy to me today? Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You want to give great joy and great glory before the Lord who will one day see face to face, repent of your sin, ask him to renew you, ask him to forgive you, and to continue to walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called in Christ Jesus. Paul circles back to that first sentiment that his labor was not in vain. This church was his hope, his joy, his crown of boasting, and he couldn't be uh, more affectionate of them, desiring to see them face to face. And in Acts chapter 20, we see that happen. It's a beautiful reunion. And church, there's coming a day at the coming of Jesus where we will behold him face to face. And when you stand before Jesus' face and he looks you in the eye, what words do you want to hear spoken to you? I know the words I want to hear. Do you know the words you want to hear? What are they? That's right. Amen, church. For anyone who wants to hear those words from Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. You have to come to Jesus who has served you by giving his own life for you. Is there anyone here who wants to come to Jesus today as their Lord and Savior? Just raise your hand and I can lead you in a prayer of salvation. All right, praise God. Let's worship church and uh, let's close with this final song and give all glory to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.